John chapter 6. It's going to continue marching through this gospel written thousands of years ago and yet touches down the deepest levels of our heart. And I'm looking forward to sharing with you truth from this section of Scripture this morning. We're calling this message the bread of life, and that's because this whole chapter really centers around this idea of Jesus as the bread of life or the bread of heaven. But first I want to talk to you about the bread of earth a little bit. The bread of earth. And by that I mean, quite literally, food. All of us spend a lot of time and energy in pursuit of food, planning to get food, preparing food, eating food, cleaning up after food. A lot of time and energy devoted to food, right? We even have channels on TV all about food. YouTube channels all about food. We sit on our couch and watch food. Food is very, very important to us. Now, I want you to imagine, I want you to imagine this. Imagine you lost your appetite. Imagine you no longer experienced hunger, a desire for food. That would be Depressing, for one thing, because food is such an enjoyable part of our lives, right? It would also be dangerous because God designed us in such a way that we have an appetite or a craving for food because it keeps us alive. Without our hunger, we would die. And yet, even with our hunger, we still die. At some point, we will enjoy our final meal in this world. It's true, right? So on one hand, we have this appetite that keeps us alive. On the other hand, it can't ultimately keep us alive because we know it's temporal. We know it's not lasting. It sustains our lives, naturally speaking, but it can't give us eternal life, can it? This is the basic idea that Jesus is using to teach people a very important lesson in John chapter 6. He is proclaiming to the crowds of people following him, he's proclaiming that he is the bread of life, that he is the one we need the most, not just for our natural appetite or our natural hunger, but for our spiritual appetite, our spiritual hunger. We need him For eternal life. In the context, which I want to reset for us before we dig into the details, in the context, Jesus has multiplied the loaves and the fish to feed 5,000 or probably 25,000, to feed this enormous group of people who who were quite hungry. Food not as readily available back then as it is today. These were hungry people, and Jesus miraculously fed them. And we spent some time thinking about that in previous messages. And then last week, we observed Jesus with his disciples. He he had sent them across the Sea of Galilee. And while they were in the middle of the sea, a storm arose and they they found themselves in danger. And Jesus showed up walking on the water. So another miracle, the miracle of the feeding of the 25,000-ish, 
the miracle of the walking on water and then miraculously bringing his disciples to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. All that has occurred. And this is where we pick it up in verse 22 where the the writer of the Gospel of John continues to establish the context for us. So start there and let's just read verses 22 through 25. The next day, the crowd that stood on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other small boat there except one and that Jesus had not entered with his disciples into the boat but that his disciples had gone away alone. There came other small boats from Tiberias near to the place where they ate the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there nor his disciples, they themselves got into the small boats and came to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? So, so here's just going to summarize this for you. Here's what happened. Jesus sent his disciples across the sea, and then he met them on the sea, and they were immediately on the other side. Well, the people back there in the same spot where the, the miracle of the, of the loaves and the fish, where all that had taken place, they're looking around for Jesus, and they're not finding him. They knew the disciples left without him, so thinking, well, where is he? And then they reason, well, maybe somehow he went to where they are. So they get in boats, they go over to Capernaum, where the disciples were, and there they find him, and they say, hey, Rabbi, when did you get here? Another way of saying, how did you get here? So they have in their mind the miracle of, of the multiplication of the food, and they have in their mind maybe something else happened. How did he get here? To this other side. So that's where we pick it up, okay? And notice, and, and this is kind of the point of that, is what, what John is highlighting here is that they were in hot pursuit of Jesus because they were really enthralled with what he had done and all that food that he had given them. They're eagerly seeking him. And, and look what Jesus' response is when they say, when did you get here? Look at his response at verse 26. Jesus answered them and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. So you're looking for me because you want more bread for your tummies. That's what you're interested in. That's what you want. And that's why you are coming looking for me. That's what you're after. So this morning's first point, as we consider Jesus as the bread of life, the first point is I want us to think more about this idea of the bread of earth and how we humans, all of us, work for it. We strive for it. We pursue it with great urgency. Notice what Jesus says regarding our work for this natural food, this bread of earth. He says in verse 27, the beginning of the verse, do not work for the food which perishes. Now think about this. This is the same Jesus who taught his disciples to pray, give us this day our daily bread, right? He's not suggesting that they starve themselves. Later in the New Testament, Paul says that we, we ought to work for our food. If a man's not willing to work, then he shouldn't even eat. There's this New Testament principle that work is good, that, that it, it's, a, it's a good, healthy part of life, that we would work, that we'd use our minds and our bodies to earn money to get food. So that's, that's a natural, normal, even good part of God's creation. All right. So he's not suggesting that they... Give up on that. This is, this is Jesus making an important point. Using, for, for those of you who like English and literature and things, he's using hyperbole. Okay? He's saying something in an extreme way to make a point. 
He's trying to help them see that there is a deeper appetite, that there's a bread that's more valuable, more important, that there's a bread that's better than the bread that they so tenaciously go after. The bread of earth, and it's going to come up later. We'll have plenty of time to circle around this concept because there's so much here in chapter 6, and we'll spend some other messages going through it. But later we'll see where, where Jesus tells the people, hey, they had looked back, and they're going to mention it here in just a moment as well, but they looked back to their forefathers and the wandering in the wilderness, and, and they had that miraculous bread, the manna from heaven. And Jesus says, hey, yeah, they had that bread, but they ate it and they still died. So it was temporal bread. It served a temporal purpose. They ate that bread and they still died. So he's helping them see that that, that that's not the ultimate. That's not the the appetite that's most important. And he's wanting them to consider their efforts and what it takes to get it and, and all the work and all the labor and all the toil ever since the curse it doesn't come easily, does it? Again, as Americans, modern Americans, we, we take it for granted, but it does not come easily. Some of you are into gardening, and, and you may grow your own vegetables or fruits, and you know it does not come easily. It takes a lot of work. And he's wanting them to consider that. There's something, there's an analogy here. There's something about that work. And there's something about our human limitations and our human dependence and how much we need bread. And and if we don't get it, we suffer. We literally suffer. And as we said earlier, if if we stop eating, we will die. So think about this in terms of just our experiences with our own thoughts and emotions. I love this term. I think it's fairly recent that we've started using this term, hangry. When we're hungry and we get angry more easily, we get hangry. You know what that's like? Not long ago, I had one of these great dad ideas. It was spring break for our girls. It was a beautiful day. I said, hey, let's go for a ride. I had been weeks earlier driving through Portsmouth, Rhode Island. So let's go for a ride to Portsmouth on this beautiful day. And we'll go get something to eat out there, and we'll just enjoy the beauty. And it was a really kind of a warm day. It was one of those in the 80s or something like that. And so we got in the car, and we started driving to Portsmouth. Well, dad fail moment, because on the way to Portsmouth, we kind of got turned around. And I, I thought there was one place that I was looking forward to bringing the girls and showing them around, and we couldn't find it. And so we're driving and driving, and we're stuck in traffic, and we're not seeing any of the beautiful, wonderful things that we were hoping to see. We had set out for adventure, and here's what we found. Conflict right in our vehicle, because we had not just one, but five hangry pierces. And the squabbling, and the bickering, and we, could, we literally couldn't find a place. We found one place, and it's closed, and it's closed, and we finally found this little ice cream shop that was open, barely open. Only the outside was open still at that point. And we actually sat and enjoyed some ice cream. And my girl said, Dad, did we just drive like an hour and a half to get ice cream? And I said, yeah, we did, but that's part of the adventure. Hangry. We all get hangry. And listen, there, there are a variety of ways that we experience that. 
whether literally you, you haven't eaten in a while and, and you are on edge and all it's going to take is the right person saying the right thing and you'll explode. Or some other earthly appetite, something you feel like you need. And maybe it's even a legitimate thing. But you want it so bad that you're just angry or fearful. What, what plagues you the most this morning? What is bothering you the most? What are you most preoccupied with? Maybe it's not physical, like natural bread. Maybe it's not food, but something, something that you're craving, something that you're wanting, something in your life, something in your family, something on the job, something material that you feel like you just need. Could be something in this church that you feel like it just has to be different or I can't be content. Or you're so frustrated with a person because they're in the way of what you think you need. And you've been striving for it, and you've been putting forth effort, and now you feel like it's all for naught, and it's because of someone or something that's in your way. What is that? It's all part of that same natural, earthly appetite we have, and it's a source of a great deal of trouble. On one level, it's, it's good, and it's part of being dependent creatures, and God established that we would have all these appetites to propel us through life, to perpetuate life. But on the other hand, at this deeper, deeper level, it, it sort of plagues us, because we're so weak and so needy, it's a source of so much frustration and so much conflict and so much pain. And I believe as Jesus is speaking with these people, he's, he's touching on that, that deeper level. He's putting his finger right there on the pulse of their hearts. So if the first idea we've been thinking about is how we work for the bread of earth, now for the remainder of the passage, we're going to talk about how Jesus gives us the bread of heaven or the bread of life. Jesus is saying, I am the bread you need the most. I am the one you need. From outside of yourself, life comes to you. And I want us to make some observations under this heading of Jesus giving the bread of life. The first observation is, look at what he says about how he gives this bread. The end of verse 27, he says, Don't work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him the Father God has set his seal Therefore they said to him, What shall we do so that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in he whom the Father has sent. Now notice, go down to verse uh, 32. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it's not Moses who has given you the bread out of heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. The Father gives you the true bread. You see that? We get verse 33. For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. Jump ahead to verse 37. All the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will not cast out. Verse 39. This is the will of him who sent me, that all that he has given me I lose nothing but raised up on the last day. So here's the idea. He's saying God gives to you the bread of life. So God gives you bread, namely Jesus, the bread of life, and God gives you to, or, or Jesus gives you back to the Father. There's this idea of giving. Do you see all that giving language? Giving, giving, giving. 
This is different from earning, working for. This is grace. This bread, this living bread, this eternal life is not earned. It's not conditional. It's graciously given. I want to read to you from a book I like. It's called Life is Impossible, and That's Good News. Just a short excerpt from this book. The author says this. Listen carefully. I think this will resonate with you in your earthly experience. He says, in our economy, in this world, you get what you earn. You hoist the trophy after you win the championship. The Marine Corps sword is, quote, always earned, never given. The bachelor contestant gets the rose after she impresses the man on the date. You get the promotion at work after you've shown your earning power. The grandmaster gives you the good job after you break the board. But not in God's dojo. In God's economy, the trophy is presented before the competition. And the rose is given before the date. Good job or well done, good and faithful servant, is already written on our board. The pressure's off. The victory is won. The victor, Jesus Christ, has given his victory to us. The board is already broken. Unlike the Marine Corps sword, God's love is never earned and is always given. We could add God's life is never earned. It's always given freely to those who have nothing to offer. And that's why he says, when the, when the uh, crowd, the people, they ask him, hey, what's a part? How, how do we do if this is part of God's work? Then how do we do the works of God? What, what can we contribute? What can we do to secure this? A little bit later they say, well, give us this bread all, always then. This bread sounds great. How do we get it? What do we do for it? And this is our next observation. I want you to notice here he says, here's your part. Believe. Believe. Verse 29. This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. Believe. That word, too, comes up many times throughout John 6, countless times in the Gospel of John. The term believe comes up over and over. It's one of these thematic words in the Gospel of John. Toward the end, he tells, hey, the whole reason I wrote this Gospel to you is that you would see Christ, that you would believe in him, and that in, in him you would have life. Believe, 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 believe. Over and over and over again. I have it down in my notes here. Actually, over 90 times in the Gospel of John, the word believe or some form of that term is used. Over 90 times. So here he says, hey, this is, this is your part. Believe. And we can understand that in terms of receiving. Receiving from him. Belief is not about what we do. It's, it's not about the, the energy we expend. It's, it's not about what we produce. It's, it's truly about seeing Christ for who He is and believing Him, trusting Him. Believing Him when He says that He's the bread of life, when He says that He's the one we need the most. Believing. Trusting. 
I like uh, a professor of mine years ago said, because we can even try to kind of turn that inward and make that about our part. Okay, how do I, if this is about faith, then how do I faith better? Like, how do I do more of the faith thing? And I'm looking at myself and I'm trying to muster up the faith. And he said, no, just, just look, just look. And so this professor said, look, faith is not what we contribute to our salvation. Faith is not what we contribute to our salvation. Faith is the recognition that we contribute nothing to our salvation. Faith doesn't look at me. Faith looks at Jesus. Faith looks at him. Earlier he referenced the bronze serpent. Back there in the Old Testament, the Israelites looked up to, and when they looked up, what happened? They were healed not by looking at themselves, not by striving and struggling and trying to do something within themselves, but simply by looking and believing. So Jesus invites them to believe over and over again in this section. And this is our next observation. He says, by believing, you receive life. This, too, is a theme in the Gospel of John over and over. The idea of life comes up. Over ten times in this chapter alone, the term life comes up. The idea is this. Jesus has life within himself, and Jesus gives us life. Now, I want to illustrate this for you. So first of all, turn back to John chapter 4. Okay, John chapter 4. And you may remember this many weeks ago. We were in this section. Jesus and the disciples are traveling. They had been at it a long time. They're in Samaria. And they hadn't eaten in quite a while. And they were all hungry. And Jesus, remember, in his humanness, he experienced hunger. He knows what that feels like. So it says in verse 31, Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples were saying to one another, No one brought him anything to eat, did they? Like, how did he get, what's this food? What's he talking about? How did he get it? Verse 34, Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. So be amazed by this. Christ has life within himself. Christ was at every moment of his earthly existence, at every moment, fully content in his relationship with his Father happy to focus not on himself, but on serving others. Get this, Jesus was never hangry, ever. And, and we, can, we laugh about that because the word's kind of funny, but, but I, mean, I mean, really think about that. I mean, when he was tried in the wilderness, he went 40 days without eating. We, we go like two hours without eating. And we're suffering and complaining and whining. And I'm putting myself right in there in the mix. And, and he went all this time and he was, he was just alive in that relationship with his father such that these earthly appetites, he was able to endure the pain, whether that was the pain of not eating for a while or the pain of losing everything. He lived with so little at the end of his life he lost everything. Even his, his garments, they stripped off of him. 
His closest friends and followers abandoned him. He lost everything, every earthly appetite, whether for food, for relationships, for sleep. He lacked, and yet in all of that, he trusted his father implicitly every moment and was filled with love. Let that blow you away. Because God uses our appetites, and when we don't get what we want, to remind us, you are flesh. You're a creature. You're dependent. And that's why you're struggling and striving, and you think you need, and and just let him put you in your place, not to beat you down, but so that you might look outside of yourself and to him for life. Say that he is the source of life. In this section, they they say, they're trying to kind of... um, as usual, and this is pretty arrogant, and we all have our ways of doing this, but it's kind of like they're trying to question and interrogate him. And so in verse 30, like, hey, what, what do you do for a sign for us then? If you talk about this work of God, hey, give us another sign. Show us something else neat, you know? Like, bl- knock our socks off here, Jesus. Hey, remember our fathers, they say they ate manna in the wilderness, and God gave them bread out of heaven. So it's kind of like, hey, uh, why don't you, why don't you do, do another bread thing? Bring some bread from heaven for us to eat. Now, question. Going back to their forefathers, it says back there in Exodus that God was teaching them as as they were wandering through the wilderness and they were lacking bread and they were literally like hungry and fearing they were going to starve. And God was teaching them a very important lesson. We are told that he was teaching them that man does not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. He was teaching them that. In a sense, he was testing them to show what was in them. Now, did they pass the test or fail the test? Well, you don't have to read too far before you see they failed the test because they're murmuring and they're complaining and they're not trusting him. There's one who passes the test. It's the same one we read about in John 4, saying, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. I don't need anything else. I only need my relationship with my Father and life in Him. So for us, every earthly loss, suffering, just like the Israelites, we find ourselves failing, flying off the handle, scared, controlled by fear. And Christ upholds himself as the one who is trustworthy. The one who is reliable. The one who has life within himself. The life of God offered to us. He says, my bread is to do the will of my Father. And this is amazing. We're going to look at probably next week. Or there's this contrast between what the, the people wanted and what Jesus wanted. He literally uses the same word where it says they, they ate all that they wanted earlier in chapter 6. They ate all that they wanted when he'd given them all that bread. They ate all that they wanted. Same term when the disciples are in the boat and they have this other kind of need, this need for safety as they're threatened there on the Sea of Galilee. And it says, when he was there, they wanted him to get in the boat. Like, get in here, Jesus. Like, save us. They, they wanted that, and that's appropriate. And any one of us would have been wanting that. And what is amazing is later in John 6, 
It says that Jesus was here to do the, the want, the will of his Father. And what the Father wants was for Jesus to gather his people to himself and to offer and give them living bread. We want our natural appetites fulfilled, and God says, I'll do you one better. I'll take care of you in this life. I'll give you what you need. But more importantly, I'm giving you spiritual life freely as a gift. You could never earn it. There's nothing within you that has any ounce of ability to, like, get it. You don't have it. God has it, and he's going to give it to you freely as a gift of grace through Christ. Life. All right, two closing thoughts. First of all, eat. You know, well, not yet. Like, stay here, but eat. Soon you will eat, okay? Eat. Food is a gift. Jesus often enjoyed food with his disciples. There's this New Testament idea of, of eating together, fellowshipping with one another, actually physically eating. That's a great gift. Enjoy it. Paul, remember Paul said, well, therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Paul is saying, look, that this is part of life. Enjoy your food, that appetite you have, the taste in your mouth. Enjoy it. Give thanks to God for it. Eat. But see it as a temporal gift. A temporal blessing. It keeps us alive. It keeps us going. But it can't keep us alive forever. It's not ultimately fulfilling in that sense. It's meant to point beyond. See, this too is by design. You were created with that appetite and all the complexity of it. God created you that way, and he created you that way, not only so that you will eat and sustain your physical body, but so that you will see that you need another kind of sustaining grace from outside of yourself. You need him. So eat, enjoy, give thanks, and realize that it's a gift, and it's temporal and that he is the bread of life. And finally, think about this with me. In this section that we've been thinking about and working our way through, it ends with verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. He says, I am the bread of life. Now, he had kind of teased them in a way. As I said earlier, bread was not as readily available to them. So if you try to put yourself in their shoes, they, they knew what it felt like to be hungry and, and to have a difficult time getting food for themselves. And Jesus had given them a ton of food. And then he cut them off. It's like the spigot was open and it was flowing, and then he just turned it off. Later in John 6, it's going to say a lot of them left. Okay, you're not going to give me any more food. You're not going to wow us with some other miracle. You're not going to feed our stomachs. This makes me think of what Paul says in Philippians. Uh, humanly, there are many who, their, their God, their appetite, their belly is their God. Okay? So, so it says that they, uh, they'll, they'll leave because he just cuts it off. Have you ever had God cut something off to where he was giving you something in life, something you were enjoying. Maybe you didn't even realize it until you lost it. 
And he just turns it off. Says, nope, no more bread. I have had people in my counseling office. I remember years ago talking with someone who was told by their doctor they, they had to change their diet. Or, or literally their life was in great danger if they did not change their diet. And this person was struggling intensely. And, and I, can, I can relate to that. Certain things I really like. I can't even imagine a huge shift like that can be a source of deep suffering and struggle. Where has God cut you off? Where has he taken away the bread, whatever it was that you enjoyed? And all of a sudden it's like it's gone. Wherever that is in your life, I would bet you, you are probably struggling significantly. As we talked about earlier, with everything from anger, bitterness, complaining, anxiety, fear, all the types of things. God is sovereign over this, the dispensing of these gifts. He's sovereign over how long we have to live as dependent creatures. Formed from dust originally, returning to dust eventually. And here we are somewhere in between it, and, and at times and in places and in ways, God just shuts it off. And, and, and at first, it seems like cruel. I mean, these people could have said, are you serious? You're a loving God? You gave us food that we actually need, and now you're saying, no, you're on your own. Really? I mean, it could seem cruel. But it was not cruel because he was speaking to their hearts. He was trying to reach them at the deepest level to awaken them to this deeper appetite. What they need more than physical bread, which is they need God. They need life. And this is life, John 17, 3, is to know God. To be in relationship with him. To know who he is and what he's like. To see him as a good father. Whether he's giving abundance or he's giving just a little. That's what they needed. That's what we need. At the deepest level, what makes us different as Christians, okay? What, what makes us different as Christians is not externals. It's not the fact that we, we try to be nice people. It's not the fact even that we try to be moral people or that we have certain commitments of how we live our life on the outside. It's not those things. You could join any other religion, cult, and, and do lots of good external things, and look different from pagans. You, you could do lots of external things, look different from a pagan, but that doesn't get to it. Jesus was speaking here to the crowds, and remember the term, the Jews, like the religious people. He was speaking to them, and he said there's something deeper than just that. The, the new birth is not just turning over a new leaf. It's being awakened to a totally new appetite, a totally new source of life. It's going from death to life. It's realizing this, that, listen, I think this will resonate with you. It's realizing deep down that there is, when it comes to spiritual life, what you need for ultimate satisfaction and security, what you crave at the deepest levels, it's being convinced that that doesn't come from you. It doesn't come from anyone around you. It doesn't come from anything around you. You could have every earthly experience, every earthly pleasure, like King Solomon. You could have everything and find it to be vanity, striving after the wind. You chase and chase and you just can't. It's just nothing there. 
what distinguishes us, and this is part of the point of Exodus and the Sabbath day and the setting apart of God's people and this giving of bread, that they were different because they were receiving bread miraculously. Here's what that looks like today. It's being convinced that Jesus is your life. Not, the, not even like how good your marriage is going. Not how good it's going with your family. Not how good it's going with your church or your job or your body or whatever else. It's not any of that. It's that you know that God loves you and forgives you and has adopted you into his family and says you belong to him. And, and God has given you to Christ. He's given Christ to you. And that you are wrapped up in that Trinitarian love relationship and that you are unified with your Father by virtue of all that Christ has done for you. It's knowing that that's your life. And so we're going to struggle. As we go through this, this earthly experience, we're going to struggle. We're going to bump into those appetites. We're going to bump into loss. We're, we're going to lose things. We all will. It's inevitable. And we're going we're gonna to have the struggle and the frustration. And then God is going to continue to show us over and over and over again his faithfulness, that while our, our supply is meager, if there at all, and his supply is everlasting and infinite and overflowing. That's why he says things like, if you, if you drink this water, from you will flow springs or, or fountains of living water. Because he's endless in supply. He's not short on supply when it comes to life. He has absolutely everything we need. And he's given everything. And at the deepest level... That's what it means to be a Christian. It's to know that Jesus is life. That he is our living bread. In closing, I'm going to read from Isaiah. Same idea. Isaiah 55, in verse 1. God says this. Ho! Which is his way of saying, Hey, listen, listen up, listen. Everyone who thirsts, Come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Come with empty pockets. Why do you spend money for what is not bread? And your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good. And delight yourself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. May God give us ears to listen to the gospel, the good news of who Christ is and all that he is for us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and its agreement within itself, all this harmony from Old Testament to New, all the truth of your word pointing us to the, the one who is the way, truth, and the life, pointing us to Jesus, that we might see him as the sustenance we need, not just for our bodies, though he supplies everything for our bodies, but more deeply for our souls, that in him is life, and that life is the light of men. God, open our eyes to see, open our ears to hear. As we navigate through with, with bodies that are limited, fragile, 
feeling hungry, whether we need more food, or feeling hungry because we, we just don't think we have enough relationships or enough money or enough approval, acceptance, or enough influence or, or enough in terms of our position or title at work or, or the weather's not good enough or whatever. Or our bodies are maybe breaking down, plagued with pain and reminders of decay and omens of death. Either way, on, on whatever level, God, help us to remember that Jesus is the bread of life and that he offers himself to us freely. That you simply invite us to look up and to believe. We believe and we thank you for all that you've done for us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.